Welcome to Jewelry Artists, where we examine the art and business of making jewelry. I'm Katie Hacker, your host. In each episode, I talk with top jewelry experts whose insights will inspire you at the bench and beyond. We talk about everything jewelry related from how jewelers got started to what they're doing now. Whether you want to make jewelry or you want to learn more about the life of jewelry artists, you'll find intriguing conversations in each episode. Tammy Jones is my guest today. Tammy's a Southern girl who's passionate about pearls. She's been collecting pearls and making jewelry from them for years. Tammy is the web producer and social media manager for a variety of interweave categories, including beading, jewelry, and beadfest, so we work together. And she's been a rock hound since childhood and since completing her graduate gemologist degree from the GIA, which is the Gemological Institute of America. I've known Tammy for about 20 years, and we met each other at St. Louis at a crafting conference. So join me for a great conversation about pearls. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you about pearls because I know how much you love them. You make no secret of being a pearl girl. That's true. I do love them and I always have. When do you think was the first time you laid your eyes on some pearls and got excited? You know, earlier today, I saw a high school graduation photograph of myself and I was wearing pearl earrings and I thought, wow, it started earlier than I remembered. But then I remembered that when I was in middle school, everyone had to have a Tennessee pearl ring. Um, pearls are What does that mean? And, and Tennessee pearls are, um, they're basically natural pearls. They grow in the Tennessee River around I Nashville. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. They're, they're nowhere near round. <laughs> they're kind of like small sticks or feathers. Um, oh, really? But they were, yeah, they were really, really popular, and everybody had to have one. So I guess we could say it goes back to at least sixth grade, but my grandmother's wore pearls, of course, and my sweet mama has too. And so I guess... I guess I just, I, I don't remember not liking pearls. I feel like it's a Southern lady thing, but it's also an every lady thing. That's true. I am, in addition to being a pearl girl, I'm a huge girly girl. And I have always loved the whole Southern lady, you know, ladylike pearls and dresses kind of thing. But there's a history of pearls and pearling in Tennessee. So it's it's in my roots even. I, I guess I had no way to escape it. Well, I think that's a good thing. I agree. I'm excited to learn more about that. I didn't know about Tennessee pearls. I don't know how I've gotten this far in my jewelry making life, and I did not know that. It could have just been an industry term, but uh, it's pretty widespread, at least in the South, that there is such a thing as a Tennessee pearl. I bet they're beautiful. So you mentioned they're kind of stick-shaped or fan-shaped. How do you make a Um, ring out of something like that? Just with large prongs wrapped around. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, they I don't think I ever saw one actually set in a bezel. Um, they're definitely drilled and strung as well. Um, so they could be in prongs or just in necklaces, but they're, they're natural. So they have a really beautiful luster and sort of that glow about them, but they're, um, they're about maybe 10 centimeters long or millimeters long. And, um, couple of millimeters wide so they're like a couple of grains of rice so they're kind of small yeah but they were they were a thing yeah so that kind of got you started on your journey Mm -hmm. I guess you were born into it you could say I believe so yeah which I love I do too that's pretty amazing and I think it's cool that they can be worn in so many different ways 
you know, I'd, yeah, me set, too. whatever way you're going to use them in your jewelry. Really, yeah, it sounds like they're very lovely. Stick pearls like that have a lot of have a lot of really um, a lot of room for creativity to to be used in all kinds of unique jewelry. So. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that a lot of um, people might think only about cultured pearls or even potato-shaped freshwater pearls when there are really so many different shapes. Mm -hmm. There are. I know you're um, a collector, right? What are some of your favorites? I I love a round, beautiful, creamy white pearl as much as any girl. (laughs) Well, probably a lot more. (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) But Baroque pearls are definitely my favorite. Um, they they have such random, knobby, knotty, curly, swirly shapes and colors that they're just, they're so unique. I mean, all pearls are as different as snowflakes, but these Baroque pearls are just spectacularly unique. They are usually pretty large as well, so they just show themselves off so much better. And they, they truly come in an endless variety of shapes and colors, and they often have, um, at least in my experience, they seem to have a better luster and more colorful orient than other pearls do. So, I just I'm when, completely in love. Oh, when you talk about baroque pearls, are you specific? Is that really um, the type of pearl that's neither round nor stick? Baroque is kind of everything else. It's everything else. Um, well, okay. there are, there are established shapes. There's round. There's oval. Teardrop. Uh, the circlet pearls, which are kind of potato-shaped pearls, um, stick pearls, seed pearls, but kind of what doesn't fit in one of those sort of common categories is considered Baroque. And they really come from all over the world. They do, and it, it's kind of heartbreaking but interesting to know that there was a time that they were considered useless and they were ground up into cosmetics and moisturizers and things like that or just discarded as trash which truly truly breaks my heart but designers yeah, fell in love with them. yeah but probably 10 15 years ago uh designers started discovering their unique characteristics and potential and they have grown in popularity like crazy since then Yeah, I was reading a blog that you wrote, and you mentioned that you have even um, gotten some, that your dad has given you the um, organism, what do you, mollusk? Yeah, mollusk. Mollusk is the overall term. There are all kinds of mollusks that make pearls, but the overreaching term is mollusks. Um, Yeah, the ones that my dad gave me were actually Akoya oyster pearls or shells, actually the whole oyster uh, you can buy them online and <clears throat> you pry open the shell and the little critter is still inside and you can harvest the pearl, which is one of the coolest things I really think I've ever done because no one has ever seen that pearl before. It's like birthing a little pearl baby <laughs> just comes Aww. out of the pearl sack and, and you're the first one to see it and you made it come out and and they're just You're the perfect. midwife. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe that'll be the title of our episode, Tammy the <laughs> Pearl Midwife. <laughs> That's great. And Akoya pearls are just perfect. They're known for being so round, so lustrous, usually white, but more and more colors are, are coming into the marketplace. But they're they're really, among um, culture pearls, they're really some of the finest. 
What makes them have the different color? I know that um, a pearl grows from when some kind of foreign element is introduced inside the shell, right? And then they, it, the pearl is built by layers and layers of um, material over that. Right. <clears throat> Either uh, a, a bead or a piece of shell or a piece of tissue from a different mollusk is inserted into the pearl sac and then the I like to call them creatures. <laughs> they yeah. coat they coat that with uh, layers and layers of nacre. Um, and, but the color itself actually comes from the shell. The type of shell doesn't match the type the color of the pearl, but it determines the color of the pearl. Oh, I didn't know that. So I imagine different parts of the world have different colors of shells, and that's why we have something like Tahitian pearls, which are kind of that shiny black rainbow. Absolutely. Color. Yes, Tahitian pearls come from the Pinctata um, margaritifera <laughs> oyster, um, and it is—it's dark. It has a black lip uh, around the shell, and that determines the color of the pearl. What are your favorite colors? Do you like to go with the classic? I have a feeling that you'd go majorly classic, and then you also spice it up with other colors. Is that true? Yes, it is absolutely true. I have cream-colored or round, uh, cream-colored or white pearl strands that I love. I have Baroque white pearls that I love. But I would say that my absolute favorites are those wild, random, iridescent Baroque pearls that are pinkish, peachish, <laughs> sort of just sorbet, pastel kind of colors. And they often have just a beautiful sort of rainbow orient over them. Sometimes it's that orient that pearls are known for, but sometimes it's actually part of their body color. I don't know how that happens, but it kind of feels like if you were to blow a bubble and you know that that rainbow that floats around the surface of a bubble, if sure. you yeah, if you burst that bubble on a piece of paper and all those colors stayed, that's kind of the effect that I'm thinking about. That Oh wow, on, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it happens on Baroque Pearl sometimes and they're just they're just beautiful. That does sound beautiful. And I think what's so fun about those types of pearls, especially, is you can combine them with other gemstones really well because you can pick up those colors, you know, absolutely. and kind of draw that into the rest of your design if you want to. Yes, absolutely. Gemstones are a great way to pick up those tiny little nuances or sometimes bold colors um, on a Baroque pearl. Do you find yourself hoarding your favorites and then eventually coming up with something to do with them? Or do you go the other way and look for what you want for a particular design? Uh, I do hoard. Uh, I don't actually. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. Um, <laughs> I don't make a lot of jewelry with pearls anymore. I string a lot of different strands for myself and for my mom. But for the most part, what I buy now is for my collection. And they sit in a pink velvet box in my closet. And every now and then I get them out and swoon over them and show them to people, anybody who's willing to look. <laughs> and then I put them back. I want to see. <laughs> I would love to show you. They sound lovely. And I love that you have a little collection to swoon over. I think we can all relate. Anybody who collects anything can relate to that, but especially these tiny treasures. 
they are treasures and tiny is a great word to use because some of them are some of them are natural pearls that are sold by weight like other gemstones so and natural pearls are naturally way more expensive than cultured pearls so you can pay thousands and thousands of dollars for something that's the size of a black peppercorn um, I have some that are the size of seed beads that are natural pearls and how they were ever found, I do not know, but they're beautiful little things. But some of them are really quite tiny. Well, it is kind of incredible to think about how a person might go about finding them. I mean, most would you say that most pearls these days are cultivated, so it's not the same kind of discovery, or is that Absol- not true? Absolutely. Um, the funny thing about natural pearls, at least my understanding, is that for the longest time, they were found as a byproduct of shell farming. There was a time, believe it or not, that the shells were the commodity and the pearls oh. were just a byproduct. So the large majority, at least back in the day, of natural pearls were found by accident and discarded or the pearl farmer took it home to his kids to play with or something like that. I've heard so many stories about things like that. So, so then they've just changed hands rather than really being the the product that's being marketed. Exactly. Um, shells were farmed or, or, or harvested for buttons and to make tools and to do mother of pearl inlay, which predates pearl jewelry by thousands and thousands of years. And at some point, the tide turned and people focused on the actual pearls themselves. That is just pretty amazing and very fascinating. I think pearls are special. And part of the reason why I wanted to have you on the um, podcast today is to talk about this is because they really are different than other types of gemstones and beads that we are using in our jewelry making. And they have such a lustrous, pun intended, history, you know. (laughs) That's true. They do. They um, they've fallen in and out of fashion, in and out of favor. And the industry has just really exploded and died off various times. It's certainly in a resurgence now because pearls are being used in different types of jewelry in more fashionable jewelry mixed with black metals and leathers and um, just, you know, you've heard the phrase, not your grandmother's pearls, and that's certainly true. But that type of jewelry design has really given pearls a resurgence. Well, I love talking about it and hearing about your passion for it. it makes me want to get my collection together here. I know I have quite a few and I just have never really thought about putting them in a pink velvet box. I love that idea. <laughs> uh, let's take a break right here. And then when we come back, I'd love to talk a little bit about how to take care of your pearls, either that clean between cleaning or storing or, you know, what's next when you have so many. So Tammy, let's talk a little bit about how to take care of our pearls. What do you recommend? So the classic recommendation for taking care of pearls is just to sort of wipe them off with a slightly damp cloth after wearing them. Um, You should also not have your pearls on while you're doing your makeup or your hair. Certainly hairspray is not a friend to pearls. No Um, showering in pearls. Right. No showering, no swimming. (laughs) Um, Maybe in the ocean (laughs) since that's where most of them (laughs) come from. But yeah, the chlorine is, is really bad for them body oils, perfumes, that sort of thing uh, can break down their nacre and cause them to just get kind of dull. Sorry, just in case someone doesn't know what nacre is, can you explain that a little? 
Nacre is what makes up a pearl. It's what the creature in the mollusk coats the irritant with over and over and over. So pearls are made up of many, many layers of nacre. And it's really similar to what makes up our teeth. It's calcium carbonate and some other things, but it's it's actually kind of similar to our teeth. Interesting. So what about storing them? They shouldn't be stored in airtight containers. Um, it's interesting that they, they're they a living, they come from a living organism. So they've grown through the earth, just like everything else that grows. So you wouldn't want them to be cut off from air. They're natural, organic things. And so they need um, a little bit of air. They'll get kind of stifled and dry if they're in an airtight container. You wouldn't want them to be in a plastic bag for extended periods of time. Um, or a jar or anything like that. Although all the old pearl farmers keep their their stash in a jar. So. In a jar, that's right. Maybe <laughs> it's not a very airtight jar or something. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've read that pearls can crack if they get too dry. They absolutely can. And as far as I know, there's not really a way to condition them like you would with leather or something like that. They just have to not get in that situation. Okay, so... Um, what is it? Ounce of prevention worth a pound of cure. Right. <laughs> cool. So um, pearls too are are in the sustainability category. It seems. Absolutely, they're they're generally considered the most sustainable of gemstones. They are used entirely. The shell, the creature inside, the oyster, or whatever it is, and the pearl are all used. The shells are used for buttons, though not so much anymore, for mother-of-pearl art and that sort of thing, even in sort of decorative uh, tools. The pearls, of course, are in the jewelry market, and then people eat the oysters, or if they're not edible, they're used for fertilizer and fish food and that sort of thing. So they're completely used. Um, But also the mollusks themselves are just really earth-friendly little creatures. They they're filter feeders. So they intake water and take their nutrients, et cetera, from it and then release the water back out cleaner than when they took it in. Um, They also keep the water from getting too much nitrogen. Nitrogen is a fertilizer for the ocean. And if it gets too fertilized, algae will grow. So the mollusks in pearl farms are typically in really, really clean, healthy waters because they're there. They're making it be so clean and healthy. Wow. So they're really kind of contributing back to their own environment in that they way. Ab- they absolutely are. I read are. about natural versus wild pearls. What's that all about? That is a really sweet topic for me. Um, natural pearls are, by definition, pearls that were not nucleated by man. But in today's willy-nilly kind of market, natural is used in lots of ways. It's used for natural color. It's used to mean that it's a real pearl and not a plastic or glass pearl. And it's just sort of used casually. So I met a lady many years ago whose grandfather was a shell farmer. And she talked about the distinction between natural and cultured pearls getting so blurry. So she chose to use the word wild to determine, to uh, distinguish truly natural pearls that were grown with no help of man. 
And I think that's just such a beautiful romantic way to refer to them because that's exactly what they are. They grow wild just like daisies on the side of the road. Right. I love that. I think that um, the term wild is, you're right, it is a perfect word for describing them. And um, I'm always looking for wild-caught salmon (laughs) or (laughs) wild-caught shrimp or whatever. (laughs) And it reminds me, too, that they come from the sea. I mean, that's, I mean, there are freshwater pearls, too, of course, but um, I think it's, it's easy to forget when you look at this um, amazing little creation that it, you know, did come from the natural world. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And how would you feel about buying something that was called natural salmon? That's kind of weird. So <laughs> I think it better be. <laughs> <laughs> so the wild is is just a really appropriate term, I think. Right. It puts even a finer point on it. Exactly. So Tammy, how did you learn so much about pearls? Um, I took a Pearls graduate course from GIA, the Gemological Institute of America, when I was working oh, you on did. getting, yes, when I was working on my GG, uh, which is a graduate gemologist degree. In that class, I learned about the six, actually seven pearl um, grading factors. There's six factors and then matching if you're considering pearl jewelry. Uh, but in general, there are six factors that people look at to value pearls. Um, and I learned about you know, the different types of mollusks and the different types of pearls like South Sea and Tahitian, Nicoya, uh, how they grow, how long they take to grow. Some take a couple of years, some take six years. If you're lucky, you'll find a fabulous pearl that's been growing for eight years and it'll be really thick with nacre and beautiful and lustrous and heavy. That would um, just feel like a gift, wouldn't it, to find it would. something like that? It would. And now that Chinese freshwater pearls have just really exploded in the market, you can find that pretty often because they're so um, they're so heavy. And when a pearl is really heavy, you can tell that it um, has many, many layers of nacre on it. And that will lead to its durability. It won't wear down as quick. It won't uh, dry out as quick. It'll just, it'll last longer and be beautiful longer. Yeah, they really do feel so good. And I love the way that they get warm when you're wearing them. Mm-hmm. But cold you when think, you first pick them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, refreshing. Do you think yeah. that you could, could you describe the the layers of nacre kind of like the rings on a tree? You know, as it grows, we've kind of all seen a cross section of a tree where there's the center part and then the rings are coming out like that. Is that sort of how the pearl develops as well? Yes, sort of. It is. If you were to cut a pearl in half, you would see rings like that. You would in the middle see the nucleus or where the piece of tissue was. Uh, Around that, you'll see a dark layer of something called conchiolin. It's kind of like an adhesive that the mollusk uses to coat whatever that irritant is. And then typically layers of nacre will start building Although they're not complete layers of nacre, they're more like um, scales, although truly microscopic scales. Um, They're made up of tiny little platelets of aragonite crystals. So they're just teeny tiny little bits of nacre that are all layered up and lined up in a row. And how well they line up, how evenly they line up, things like that are what determine a beautiful uh, luster on a pearl. Wow. I, I'm so excited that you threw the word aragonite in here. Yeah, I did not you, know that either. Yeah. I'm learning all kinds of stuff today. 
Who knew? I was just appreciating the outside of the pearl and not thinking about the inside. So what are these uh, six things we, that you would look for? The six pearl properties are luster, nacre thickness, shape, surface quality, color, and size. And then the seventh, which is important when you're considering strands or uh, pairs for earrings, is matching. But for single, per- single pearls, it's pretty much those other six. Is that the same? Are those the the qualities that you would look for when you personally are shopping? Like we're you know hopefully going to go to Tucson next year and have the opportunity to see lots of pearl vendors. What should I be looking for? Absolutely. Um, so size, of course, is a given. You know, everybody knows the various sizes that pearls can come in, and whether you need small or large pearls for your project. Um, after that, I would say color is pretty important. I like the creamy colored ones, but I also like kind of those multicolor Baroque ones. Silver pearls are beautiful. Gold are beautiful. So it just depends on what you like. There are three aspects to a pearl's color, though. There's the body color, which is the color you see when you look at it first. So you may look at a pearl and think that pearl's white. Then there's an overtone. So if you look at the pearl and you think that pearl is white, but it has a little blush of pink to it, that's the overtone. But then if you see something that's slightly iridescent or rainbow-like or shimmery, that's called the orient. So those are the three parts of color. Hmm. And so are those generally going to affect the price? They can. Um, they absolutely can. They're, I wouldn't say that color is a huge factor in price. Um, Akoyas, though, typically will be cream. South Sea will be white or golden. Tahitians will be dark they could be gray color yeah yep and and peacock sometimes i call them peacock pearls they'll be black or gray brown purple blue or green but pretty much dark um and then the others can be pretty much anything but then you get into natural pearls like conch pearls they're almost always pink sort of a salmon coral kind of color they can be other you know lighter colors but typically just pink or a shade of pink to white so each, each uh, main category of pearls has its own typical color or its most valuable color, just like with other gemstones. Hmm. Another factor that determines a pearl's value is the surface quality, and that can be scratches, flat areas, wrinkles, creases, that sort of thing, as opposed to a perfectly round, smooth pearl. Sometimes those things can be hidden with a drill hole or the, the bezel or prong that they're set in, but that's another thing to look for when shopping for pearls. Another given is shape. Just like size, there, there's not a lot really to say about shape. There are, there are common shapes like round and teardrop and that sort of thing, but then there are also the wild Baroques that I love. So um, it's just a matter of personal preference. Another important factor about pearls is the nacre thickness. And we've talked about what nacre is, um, but it it affects the durability of a pearl. It affects the luster. um, And um, it's it's so thin, it can be um, like a quarter of a millimeter thick, which is pretty much the bare minimum, all the way up to about a half a millimeter thick. So these days, there's so many pearls being grown all over the world that they're often grown pretty quickly. Um, So you don't get really thick nacre all the time. And you certainly 
can't look at a pearl and think that pearl is thin or thick, but you can tell if it has a little bit of a chalky appearance or if it's kind of dull, then it doesn't have a lot of nacre and it would not be the best purchase most likely. Mm -hmm. The sixth factor is luster and it's the most important factor when it comes to value. When you think about a pearl, if you've looked at a pearl and ever seen a reflection in it, if it looked like a really sharp reflection, like if you can see a really sharp maybe outline of a light or a window that you're looking at it by, that is ideal. And the less sharp it is, the less uh, the quality of the luster. So if it's kind of a hazy or a dull sort of fuzzy look, that's not ideal luster. But there's a wide variety out there. They're, they're natural once living kind of things. And so there's a lot of opportunity for randomness. And probably that's fun to look for. I mean, I would think, yes, you want your perfect ones for certain things, but in other cases, it would be fun to have some that are, you know, really different and something that people haven't seen before. Absolutely. And, and pearls, just like other gemstones have treatments and enhancements, they're often bleached, they're often dyed. Um, so if that's, you know, important to you, I typically don't buy dyed pearls. Um, I don't really need to because there are ones out there everywhere that are beautiful colors that are not dyed. But that's something that you can look for when you're buying them. Look around the drill hole to see if you can see the dye. Um, because it's going to be a little bit white down the center and have the color just around the edge. Is that what you're looking right. for? Yep, that's right. And there's nothing wrong with dyed pearls. They they can you know have varying degrees of durability, but there's really nothing wrong with them. They're just... They're just treated like most gemstones are. Sure. There are even some um, easy ways that you can dye pearls yourself if you want to, which could be kind of fun. I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh, now it's my turn to teach you something. <laughs> I love that. I love learning something new about pearls. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I've definitely worked with dyed pearls, and I just um, always – uh, clean them before I work with them so that any extra dye comes off and then you can just discard the water and be feel you know safer about what you're working with but I love knotting pearls with silk because it's a natural material mm -hmm. um, but you could also use nylon and of course knotting is the traditional way to to you know turn them into jewelry but there are so many different things you can do that's true a few years ago at bead fest I bought a strand of beautiful pearls and when I took them off their temporary cord, I learned that I had accidentally bought large hole pearls and I didn't know what to do with them. But oh, those are my favorite. They are mine too now. <laughs> they, um, I strung them on leather and I love them and I wear them more than any of the others. So. Oh, isn't that cool? I love it's it. It's fun. New things. Well, thank yep. you so much for joining us today, Tammy. This has been fascinating. Really appreciate having you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Click the link in our podcast description to see pictures and learn more about the things we talked about today, including pictures of Tammy's Pearl Collection. Remember to subscribe to Jewelry Artist and connect with us on social media. Jewelry Artist is hosted and produced by me, Katie Hacker. We had help from Tamara Hahnemann and Merle White, with special thanks to the team at Lapidary Journal Jewelry Artist Magazine. Jewelry Artist is an interweave podcast and produced by Golden Peak Media. Our podcast producer is Matthew Talisfor. Tammy Jones is our web editor and Jesse Rodriguez does our marketing. Our executive producer of podcasts is Jared Mayer.